I started my career as a stand-up and once I realized that society considered it a radical act to simply decide that the fact that you had something to say and you wanted to say it in front of people, I just thought, what's the point of wasting it on kind of garbage dating material when I'm going to get the same results of haters if I just have an opinion, I might as well have it about something. And then if I have it about something, maybe then I can have other people feel like I deserve to have an opinion or I should think about things in a different way. And so for me, no one's asking women, hey, ladies, you know, we need more of you to take front and center stage and have some opinions and run some things, right? You have to do it yourself. So I just did it. I just decided to, like the old saying says, like walk with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And I just decided to do that. And like, if I didn't know how to do something, I would teach myself. And that's what you have to do. No one's asking for us to topple the patriarchy. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Inequality is everywhere, even when it comes to comedy. What we're encouraged to find funny is often aligned with what men find funny. This is the male gaze of comedy, and we're socialized to believe that women are just not as funny as men. Women comedians receive far harsher criticisms than men. Women's experiences in general are just not normalized in the same way that men's are. Comedy is consequently a very difficult industry for women to break into. Madeline Smithberg and Liz Winstead, creators of The Daily Show, are celebrating the show's 25th year. During her time as the executive producer of the show, Madeline was responsible for casting Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert, and Steve Carroll, to name a few. She went on to earn a Peabody and an Emmy Award for her work. Liz was not only the co-creator of the show, but she's also the former head writer, drawing inspiration for the show from her early career in stand-up. What makes these achievements even more remarkable is that comedy is a highly male-dominated industry. Gender biases, like the belief that women are naturally less humorous than men, limit women's access to opportunities and pay. Gender stereotypes also place increased pressure on women to perform to a consistently high standard, and avoid confirming negative beliefs about their capability. When The Daily Show started in the 1990s, it was the first political satire show of its kind. What Madeline and Liz have clearly proved over the last 25 years is that women don't need to work the male gaze of comedy. In fact, when women tell their own stories, they provide greater opportunities to advance diversity in comedy more broadly. Women's experiences are valuable, funny and relatable, not just to women, but to everyone. Here Liz and Madeline share how they began their careers in comedy. I started my career as a stand-up and once I realized that society considered it a radical act to simply decide that the fact that you had something to say and you wanted to say it in front of people, I just thought, what's the point of wasting it on kind of garbage dating material when I'm going to get the same results of haters if I just have an opinion, I might as well have it about something. 
And then if I have it about something, maybe then I can have other people feel like I deserve to have an opinion or I should think about things in a different way. And so for me, no one's asking women, hey, ladies, you know, we need more of you to take front and center stage and have some opinions and run some things, right? You have to do it yourself. So I just did it. I just decided to, like the old saying says, like walk with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And I just decided to do that. And like, if I didn't know how to do something, I would teach myself. And that's what you have to do. No one's asking for us to topple the patriarchy. I think comedy, especially the type of comedy that we did and do is a delivery system. It's like that spoonful of sugar thing where you're delivering hard opinions about sometimes really bad things, but you're making the experience of receiving that information, you're making that pleasurable in a weird way. So it, no one wants to be yelled at or lectured, but everybody loves to laugh. I had a very strange experience in my life. I grew up in New York City. My Mother had two PhDs and was just a dynamo. And I was the first child and I was raised to believe that I could be anything that I wanted. I lived in Manhattan. I thought everybody on planet Earth was Jewish and an artist. I was 17 when I met my first Republican and I thought they were fictional characters. I didn't think they actually existed. And so when I got to college, I had heard talk of this man's world concept, but it had never really pertained to me. And so I literally, I thought about it for a second, looked in round and thought, oh, this is a thing. And guess what? The mafia is real too. I had no idea. And then just sort of, you know, brushed the glass off my shoulders and kept on going. I started at Letterman and I was just very focused and worked very hard and as Dave said, have really good ideas. And so I just rose and rose. And then after the, I got, you know, sort of recruited to do the Jon Stewart show for MTV and then in syndication. And next thing I knew, I was running a show. And then the same people that it had been at MTV were at Comedy Central. So Doug Herzog literally like he, it was almost physical force to get me to do The Daily Show. And I had no interest in it and turned it down for about almost a year, I want to say, until Liz was my neighbor. She'd been working with me on the Jon Stewart show. We had created a different show and pitched it to Comedy Central and were in the building and they were, you know, forcing us to do it. But the recipe for the success of The Daily Show could never really be repeated because the way that Doug got me to say yes and then I got Liz to get on board was, they gave us a year of guaranteed being on the air and we didn't have to do a pilot. So Liz and I, as we were developing the show and putting it together, had no fear of failure. And that is what really, above everything else, made the show what the show is because we had the opportunity people with passion and creativity and talent to put together the strongest team that we could find. And then without fear, just go about, you know, sort of figuratively throwing spaghetti at the wall till we found the perfect recipe. 
The lack of diversity in Hollywood is a widely reported issue, with racial and ethnic minorities being excluded both on and off camera. The lack of representation, though, is ultimately bad for business, as a new study by the consulting firm McKinsey estimates that the film and TV industry is worth about $148 billion, and each year it loses about $10 billion or 7% by undervaluing black films, filmmakers, and executives. Here Madeline and Liz reflect on the causes behind the lack of diversity in comedy. First of all, let's broaden this out to what we're really talking about. It's not all men, it's white men. And I think that especially now what's going on in America with almost half of our population thinking that the election was rigged and not believing in the vaccine. It's that I know women are part of that, but it's this fear uh, but globally, I believe, of white men being scared that power is getting taken away from them. And I think that it's causing literally every single problem facing us as a planet, including global warming. I joke about it with my husband, who I dearly love, and he's a good man and he agrees with me. But I'm like, you guys are ruining this for everybody. And I think that we have the pandemic and then we have this other pandemic of toxic masculinity, which is at higher state of infection than it's ever been since I've been alive and been keeping track. I think that it's a global problem. And I think that there's just the world is shifting and the power balance is shifting and people are panicking and they're grabbing on to whatever they can to hold on. And so I think that the entertainment industry is a microcosm of the world at large. Stand up was all about garbage and patriarchy. Like coming up through the ranks of comedy, there was immediately competition set against the people who were women who were comics. There was never a show where you could just have two women on unless it was a novelty show and it was all women club owners would say things like don't talk about women things because men won't like it i'm like i don't have another lens to draw from buddy like i only know what the world is like through the lens of me being me and also like i had this incredible experience doing stand-up where when i first started doing stand-up i was like an observational comic and i was doing jokes and i was doing fine you know they were easy and All of a sudden, jokes that would kill just sort of stopped working. And I was like, why are these jokes that have been guarantees not working anymore? And so I started to tape myself and I realized I would first say, ever noticed? And then I would say something really banal. I subconsciously started saying, I think. And when I started saying, I think on stage, instead of saying ever notice, the joke started falling flat. And I was like, oh my God, the fact that I've asserted myself into the banality, you know, it was hard. And, you know, you could hear sometimes when you would work a room, you could hear men in the audience, like if they were just dragged to a club and I happened to be working it, you could hear them be like, oh, it's a woman. Like, you know, there was like a visible like disappointment and audible disappointment. And so for me, where I did luck out though, is like, Transitioning from stand-up into producing, I had a few 
experiences before I got to Madeline. And both of them were working for women executives who were very, very supportive. Like I worked for Mo Gaffney on this really cool feminist talk show. And I was the head writer there. That was really fun. And then I worked for a woman named Karen Glass, who was also really great at Comedy Central. And then I lucked out and met Madeline. And it was another woman who was, you know, running the show. And so when men were running the ship, I felt incredibly like I had to be on for the male gaze and the male ear and the male everything. And if women got to hear a little bit about themselves, you know, you'd kind of have to stick that in. And so it really weirdly, you know, going into television production, we lucked out for a stretch. After The Daily Show, I ran into some just kind of bizarro things at other networks, you know, where it was just more people being like, maybe it needs to be more like this so that, and it was always so men can appreciate it. It was always this thing where it's like, are men, only, are they so simple that they can only be entertained by an experience that they are wholly familiar with? Because I feel like having sex with someone is, has a different set of anatomy. I feel like their very favorite thing to do is the opposite of what they ha- are made of, you know? So I'm like, I don't get it. Why are we making it so weird? Like nobody was writing this political material, political comedy, political television satire. Like hardly anybody across the board period was doing it. You know, we hired people who came from writing magazines, a couple of stand-ups who were incredibly political people. It wasn't a conventional talent skill because it wasn't like submit a packet for Letterman. Show me your spec script for Modern Family. You know, that wasn't going to get me to know that you were going to wake up every single day and be able to churn out material that was in the voice of a satirical news show that was smart that had some historical context sometimes. According to the McKinsey study, the persistent lack of diversity in Hollywood is the result of a number of hidden barriers dominating the industry. Those barriers exist across a complex, interwoven ecosystem of production companies, networks, distributors and talent agencies. The end result may be the devaluing of diversity, resulting in limited opportunities on screen and off screen, as well as a lack of access to investment. For example, the study found that 92% of film executives are white, as are 87% of executives in television. Films with a black lead or co-lead are budgeted 24% less than movies that don't, a disparity that nearly doubles when there are two or more black people working as director, producer or writer. Here Liz shares her advice for advancing diversity in comedy. I would just say too, the world is not providing you a lot of tools. I know how to edit and make graphics and I'm a one man band if I need to be. And for me, I just feel like, look at the world around you. If all you see are people like yourselves, you're never going to be the best narrator and nor are you going to understand profoundly who you need to hire and why, and the kind of people you'll be. And so I have, in subsequent shows, had very diverse staffs as far as gender and race. I work at a nonprofit now, which I'm really excited that this whole show is benefiting this nonprofit. And this nonprofit is 50% women of color, 
and gender across the board, gender non-conforming people, trans folks. And it's important to have folks whose life experience you can talk about. How can you do satire if you're not talking about the people who are the most marginalized in the world that is created? And if those people aren't helping set the tone and also like putting it forth, you can. But to say, I can't find any women or I can't find any good black writers. It's like, really? Are you on Facebook? Because I feel like if you just got on social media, you'd probably see a whole lot of hilarious people or maybe turn on your TV or go to a protest or I don't know, live in the world. So it is no more and there's no excuse anymore. And also another thing I would say too is make sure that you have a strong executive team that is people of color and women because they are the ones who are going to be hiring other folks as well. And, And it's not just about hiring people of color, it's about empowering leadership of color and um, women as well, so that they are the decision makers and they are setting the path and the tone and the narrative. Madeline and Liz are nothing short of trailblazers. 25 years of running a show that influenced the way people think about politics and culture is a remarkable achievement. Here, Madeline shares her advice for how to break into the industry and, more importantly, how to stay there. Obviously, we did something right because here we are 25 years later. You know how you get LinkedIn, like, stupid, like, congratulate this person on 25 years at their job. And I just erase it. And uh, then, like, a few weeks ago, I got one that said, Congratulate Kira Klang on 25 years at The Daily Show. And I went, 25 years? Like, how is that possible? And I think that, you know, who gets to have a legacy like that? Who gets to create something that changes the culture, makes people laugh, makes people think, and just continues and continues and continues? And I don't think... There are many people and certainly not many women who can say something like that. And I always feel like, you know, I did it. I stayed seven and a half years. I got my Emmy. I have two Peabody's. I feel like I could lay down right now and just eat bonbons and I'd be fine because I have accomplished more than most people can ever hope to. And yet I'm in my kitchen, making comedy cooking videos and trying to get a show off the air, hosting corporate team building events. But in terms of advice, I think things are different and things are changing. For the history of late night, I did a panel with Amber Ruffin. And I think that things really are changing. And I think it's because of what Liz said. Now there are examples. It's like, there is a template. You can see what other people have done. And at least you may do it differently, but it's almost like if you're in training, first learn the basics. So there are faces that look like you. There are people that have your body parts. And what I always say, my advice to everybody, and I give a lot of advice. I'm like the universal mentor. It's just shut up and do it. Like shut up and do it. If you want to write, write. Just keep writing and writing and writing and writing. And if you want to produce, start getting really good at taking coffee orders because television is notorious for making everybody start except the writers at the very, 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 very bottom and don't give up. And now with YouTube, like 
I was able to pilot a show that I am pitching, but never leaving my house. And so there really are opportunities to create and get your stuff out there. Just do what I did. Ignore the obstacles. You might get bruises and sometimes cut, but just ignore the obstacles. Believe in yourself. What Liz said, follow every opportunity and then be open to the dream not looking exactly like what you're imagining it, but just keep following your passion. That's all I can say. And and don't cry in meetings. As the saying goes, if you can see it, you can be it. Celebrating women leaders in male-dominated industries like film and television is absolutely critical to advancing the next generation. According to the latest inclusion report from the Writers Guild of America, white men accounted for most of the senior decision makers on television shows in 2019, like showrunners and executive producers. Racial and ethnic minorities comprise just 18% of these roles. Liz and Madeline have broken 25 years of barriers, which is important to celebrate. But when it comes to advancing equity and equality for all, the goal is to get to a place where celebrating diversity is the norm, not the exception. I hope today's episode inspired you all to break barriers in your own careers and to think about how we can address systemic inequality in all of our workplaces along the way. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Just a quick announcement before you go, we have a new website. That's right, a brand new website. So please visit www.thefixpodcast.org where you can get your weekly fix for equality. You can sign up to be a guest on the show and you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter. If you want to support our work, then please also subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get yours. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone, and I'll catch you all again next week.